Here's a promo to start this episode. One big yes. announcement yes, is uh, hopefully I will get this out before then. This Friday, mm-hmm. May 1st, uh, on the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the Chris Wade. We will be doing a music video power hour that Molly has made. Yes. This is one minute of a music video of an all time banger. Yes. Uh, then we will drink a shot of White Claw or beer at the end. And we do, we do that for 60 videos straight for one hour. So come please join us on twitch.tv slash the Chris Wade yep. for a music video pregame power hour. Can we actually record that as a promo to put it first in the episode? For yes, who might you're right. It? I'll do this. I'll, I will cut this out. So we're going from Jessica blondie Simpson. Blondie to blondie. Blonde to on blonde. Blonde on blonde. So, blonde our, so far, blonde. our themes this year are jam bands and blondes. Oh, my God. We're getting real <laughs> niche. <laughs> yeah. We're, is this, is this Who's a jam band blonde? A jam band blonde. Are there any female jam band? Are there any female jam, jam bands? bands? Oh Christ! Ooh, that I think that's definitely telling about uh, you know, a certain a certain kind of thing. There are not okay. I mean, I don't know a lot about a lot. We all know that now, <laughs> but in my knowledge of music, it does not immediately come to mind. I mean, I don't know Janice. Well, Janice Joplin wasn't a jam band. She was in a fucking hard ass blues band. Yeah, they might have jammed, but jam wasn't the goal. They, wasn't the core core of the band. They they had they had tunes. All right, I'm gonna I, I got to Google female jam bands. And it's just going to be, oh, it's going to be awful. Oh, yeah, this is, this is awful. Oh, I wrote female James Bond by accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jam band called James Bond. Would James be Bond, really the jam funny. band, that is very funny. I'm on a Reddit, r slash jam bands. Are there all any all-female jam bands out there? There's one called Sideboob. Sideboob. An, an all-female super jam. Oh, boy. Oh, God. Sideboob is a good name yes. for a band, though. Oh God! Yeah. Oh no! There's a bluegrass female supergroup called I'm with her. Oh no! Oh, oh God! No. Oh God! I bet there's a lot of um, low like low key independent female fronted or female dominant jam bands, but yeah. none have made it to the national circuit that I am aware of. Please correct me well, if I'm wrong. Look, I think the last like two decades or so have there's been a lot of strides of breaking women into punk. You know, a lot of like female fronted punk indie. Uh, I mean, rock, 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 music yeah, rock music is basically, is basically being led by women, women right, right now. now. You can only be an interesting rock band, indie rock band, if you have a woman as part of you. That is, as, that's basically like not, part of not your part hook. of you, like the front of you, you. Yeah, the front yeah. of you. Yeah, um, you got to be car 20, seat headrest for people who yes. not for people. Care. Yeah, either your car seat headrest or you have a lady front woman, or you don't matter. <laughs> Wait, oh, new band name idea, lady woman, lady woman. Uh, it's like Wolf Mother. But 2020 different. on, uh, 2020 into 2030, we've got to uh, break the glass, the jam band glass ceiling. Jam band glass ceiling, and of course, female DJs, which female, uh, DJs. female DJs and producers, which there are far, far, far too, too few, few of those. Uh, name your female jam band, uh, free name, Royal Jelly. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what a queen like what bees secretes, make? but oh. only the queen can secrete the you royal know what jelly. i i balked but you're totally right it ha- jam bands have to sound they have to refer to nature and they have to be kind of gelatinous yeah, yeah. and gooey yeah wow that's pretty good that's pretty good uh so if you're an all i like wait what did i just say lady woman lady woman uh <laughs> if you're an all-female jam band out there send us your music and allow me to manage you but the first rule is you have to change your name to royal to royal jelly you drive a hard bargain you're just like all the other man let me let me be your danny fields man, man you know there's a reason why the word man is in manager <laughs> what about a woman manager uh hey how about this woman manager uh a all-female jam band called lean in that'd be pretty good and that would be like the signature crowd motion you would lean in on you your could fellow call it lean girls. in with like swearing 
lean in, lean in, and then it would have kind of a double on top. We are full of good ideas God today. We should start a jam band. Then have I think to start this is what it's all band. leading to, right? Well, Debbie Harry was in a jam band. That was like her first band. And with that, let's get into the episode. Okay. <laughs> And introducing a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on lead vocals, it's Miss Debbie Harry. The original Atomic Blonde was the front woman of CBGB stalwarts turned global disco innovators. And Blondie paved the way from punk to new wave as Debbie fashioned herself into a singing, rapping, avant-garde starlet. And today we'll be reading through all the parallel lines to learn all about Debbie Harry, Blondie, and Downtown in the 70s through her memoir, Face It. Face It. Face what? I guess that's what we'll be finding out today. Yeah. The music. She also has a good face. She does have a good face. Yeah. Face. One of the best. It. <laughs> Honestly, one of, uh, an, uh, one of the better faces out there. Now, one thing I have to make absolutely clear right off the top of this podcast. We. Oui. Debbie Harry is not the Blondie. She's in Blondie. She was blonde. But she is not the Blondie. She is not the titular Blondie of the of band. Of Blondie. Blondie is named after... A 30s comic book. Or Blondie, 30s the comics. comic strip. Yes, a comic so strip. So any way you, you, you slice it, the name of the band Blondie does not reference Debbie Harry at all. I mean, it's not like, you know, the band Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, which refers to the people the, whose last yes. names are... Her name is not Debbie Blondie. Debbie Blondie. But, I but mean, she... The, the name of the band is in no way a reference to Debbie Harry, even though she is an, an iconic yes, blonde. Yes, blonde. Yes. The it name, is, it is the, not her band, which is her name. It is a band that she is in who she embodied... The, she but embodied the name the Blondie, Blondie references absolutely something totally different than yes. Blondie. Yes. So it would never be fair to be to call her the titular Blondie. Mm, like yes and no. Spiritually, at this point, she is Blondie. Although I think a lot of her old I, bandmates I would like, disagree. I feel like we're getting into some who's on first territory. I'm just trying to make perfectly clear that the name of the band does not reference yes Debbie Harry. Yes. It references the '30s comic strip Blondie. Yes. Which is absolutely something that has nothing to do with her being blonde. Yes. But she was blonde. And was in the band Blondie. And was in the band Blondie. But those things had nothing to do with the name of the band. For example, the 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 singer Pink, she is pink. Yes. She's a pink, was a pink-haired, pink-haired singer. Person. And it was referring to, to herself. herself as, yes. It wasn't referring to, say, Big yeah. Pink, the place where that, you know, the band wrote their album. Yeah. I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yes. But anyway, that just, how do you feel about Blondie? How do you feel about Debbie Harry? This, this episode is about Debbie, Debbie Harry. Harry. Uh, she seems cool. I don't know. I, I, what do I feel Deborah about De- Harrison? <laughs> Deborah Harrison. Yeah. Uh, what do I feel about Debbie Harry? Uh, I like the, the five Blondie songs that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know that much of, uh, Blondie's deeper catalog, but those five songs all go really hard. They rip. Yeah. Atomic, uh, tide heart, is high. Heart is heart of glass. Heart of glass hanging me. on the telephone. Call me. Uh, one Ripper, thing, to, uh, Ripper to shreds, one way or another. One way or another. Yeah, all those songs, yeah, a bunch of bangers. true bangers. Yeah. Uh, so, and then they are like of the like, what 
half dozen iconic bands of the CBGB scene. So yeah, one of that, the most like, iconic respect, New York scenes bands of all time. So just like general goodwill. And she's everything that I've seen or heard of her seems she seems like a, a chilled individual. Yeah. Uh, Give me a glass of Chardonnay because I need a chilled white. That's <laughs> Debbie Harry. Dude, after reading this book, Debbie Harry is absolutely a chilled white. I yes. would. That is exactly how I would describe her. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it, it, it's not it is not my place to be like, ah, she's one of the good ones. But mm-hmm. if there is a good one, yes. she's up there. Uh, you'd, you'd have to ask actually actual POCs what they think of Debbie Harry. <laughs> well, but she did. She was the first to. I'm sure we'll get into this, that she was one of the first two uh, mainstreamer size uh, hip hop music. She had the first rap number. She had the first rap number one. Yes. Which which, maybe uh, is problematic, but I'm sure that she was like, I'm sure at the time she was like, I was just having fun with it. She liked hip hop music and she, and she was, she was basically there when it was invented. She just did the classic thing where it's like a a white person making it a lot more palatable for a mainstream mainstream audience. Yeah, exactly. I'm just being like, ah, gee shucks. I was just I was just singing what everybody was doing. I was just vibing. Yes. (laughs) My name is Debbie Harry. I'm here to say (laughs) I'm here to vibe in a major way. terrible um yeah i i'm i'm familiar with her as a new york character i'm i like all the the big blondie songs i don't i like didn't really know about any of the deep cuts or also the frankly weird direction her uh career took from the mid mid 80s to now Mm -hmm. um because she's done some weird shit but uh yeah she's just always one of those people where like if there's some kind of like rock music or general music thing happening and like all of a sudden the camera cut, cuts the audience and you're like, oh, it's Debbie Harry. Hi, Debbie. It's she's nice a, to see you. She's a scene leader. Yeah. She's a she's a viber. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's down. Da- she's down to clown. All those things. I mean, so it sounds like you had basically the same priors as me going to. Into yeah. This. Yeah. And my dad, I, I listened to her because my dad would listen to her. And then also music cues in every fucking like teen yeah. movie. Yeah. One, one way, way or another was in a lot of movies. Uh, fun fact. And maybe I'll uh, dredge up this music file from somewhere is uh, in college. I played in a cover band that played during the uh, the sketch comedy and improv show. That was like the highlight sketch comedy improv show that uh, that happened every year. Mm-hmm. One of the third of it was that was live band karaoke. And I played in the karaoke band but in between songs in between sets we play covers and one way or another was one of the songs that we that we chose to cover is yeah. i mean I, I can't remember if i played bass i think i wanted to do the uh the cool rhythm guitar part ah the bassist flight yeah always trying to get that that rhythm guitar thing next step i'll see if i can dredge up those files from somewhere and uh cut in a little bit of that one way or another um, let's talk about Debbie. Uh, this book is insane. Like, I would honestly, it's like kind of boring. And we can, we'll talk more about like why it's boring. Her life is so interesting. And I think she's just so cool. Is that, you know what it reminds me of is like when athletes, uh, I think, um, David Foster Wallace once like talked about this about how the impossibility of an athlete understanding why they are good at sports mm, because yes. it's basically just like Spider-Man like to Spider-Man like the guy is just coming at him really slow right and so he's just reacting normally right I feel like to Debbie here she's so cool that life is just like yeah this yeah is just the way why things are. wouldn't I be hanging out at the factory mm-hmm. like that's like why wouldn't I be buddy buddying around with like Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat yes like that's just that was where you just went. I mean, I'll, we'll get it, we'll get into this, but 
it does really seem like if you had half a brain and like half an eye for f- like fashion or like general coolness and were anywhere within like a mile of 40 of Union Square in New York in like the late 60s, you could just get access. You could like. Yeah, I things. don't I don't think there was a velvet rope around this shit, especially she will talk about this more is that. I what I kind of forgot and didn't realize is that she was not a young 20-year-old whippersnapper during the 70s. She was born in 1945. She's a true fucking boomer. Oh, she shit. was older by the time in the mid-70s when Blondie got together, she was 30, yes. my age. So now I feel better, <laughs> better. about myself. Hey. But she had already lived an entire life in New York City. She yeah. was there in the mid-60s, late 60s, and at that time everything was a goddamn happening. You didn't it wasn't like, "Oh no, you can't get in. Sorry, you're not cool enough." It was like, "There's no such thing." everyone is hairy and smells (laughs) sure you can bang a drum in my band yeah well the other thing the sense that you get when you read these books or read about the factory or the punk scene or something is not that there were like that it was a huge scene and like the top 10 percent of it were the creators it was that there were like 25 people there tops at any given time and they were all and they all became famous yeah it was just you know low low rent and loose morals at the right the right time and place um, but anyway, so that that's why the book is like just the way she talks about her life. It's almost mundane, even mm-hmm. though she is like, wow, like things were so crazy. And the, the books like spiritual, you know, fraternal twin, evil twin is of course, Patty Smith's just kids, which we will eventually talk about. We will eventually talk but about Patty that. Smith. I know your issue is her. She's talked about how magical New York is and how sleeping on a park bench. Wow. Like yeah. so crazy. And Debbie here is just like, yeah, none of it was like interesting or romantic. It was just like a night out <laughs> just going through just going through night. Yeah. Like, yeah. Chill out, Patty. There, we, we won't hear the last of Patty in this episode. Also, Excellent. but let's get it. Let's get I into do want to put a Debbie's pin life. in that I, in that people have suggested just kids. And that's one of the ones along with uh, the dirt that I, kind of want to save for if we ever do a live episode because uh, everybody loves that book and I think it is uh, lame. <laughs> so that can be a, another uh, um, a reemergence of Hater Chris on yes. the... Uh, on the, the Good ep- old Hater Chris. On the uh, the episode that we do Just Kids. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's 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 get into Debbie's life. She was born Angela Trimble, uh, which is just... What a dork. <laughs> what a dork name. Yeah. A perfect 1945 name. Yes. Uh, everybody's name like, uh, like Pamela... Angela Millicent Millicent Richardson um, born on July 1st 1945 she was a love child that was her words she Mm. was the result of an affair between an unmarried woman and a married man who already had a bunch of kids she found out that he was married broke it off had the kid and was encouraged to put her up for adoption so she was actually adopted oh wow which that is not I don't think we talked about a ton of people on this who've been adopted big origin story um, but she, she was born in Miami, but she grew up in New Jersey. She was, I knew she was New Jersey. She's a Jersey bitch. Of course she's New Jersey. And my Miami, even though she was just born there, but Miami through New Jersey is a very powerful energy. The, and also I think supports my idea that the best classic New Yorkers are not from New, New York. York. You kind of have to want it from the outside before you get in it on the inside. Near, but not 
born near but not inside like, is a good origin story for a New Yorker because if you're born in, you take it for granted. But if you, it's always just on the horizon. You you, you have that striver energy. Yeah, I think that the near like the Jersey Long Island. Yeah, uh, into gives you that better energy versus like I don't know. For, I'm from Ohio and it was always just like uh, fucking the Magic Kingdom or something. That my imagination of New York. So yeah, Epcot. New uh, York. When I got when I got here, I still had more uh, hayseed energy. I would say uh, that <laughs> than bridge and tunnel energy. Yeah, or like that wit Stillman like trying to fake it in society mm-hmm. type energy. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to say is Miami through Jersey. We were in Miami. At the, I don't think we've mentioned this in the pod. We were in Miami at the beginning of the year uh, for my birthday and to see uh, my beloved New Order. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what a class act band. Mm. What, what good boys mm. with good songs. Uh, but while we were there, we were hanging out at this dive bar, um, which is called uh, Club Max, Deuce. Max Club Deuce. Yeah. Where we met a guy who was a union construction worker two years away from uh, retiring at 65 who split his time between Boston and Miami. <laughs> and the, the perfect... Just the idea that he was a perfect synthesis of a Boston guy and a Miami guy, which sounds like two two bad tastes that wouldn't taste good together. But they they, but they do. Did. Yeah, yeah. He he had like he had a fanny pack, and he was complaining about how his bikes keep getting stolen in Miami. But in like a, a Boston accent. Yeah, and he bought us shots of Fireball, and yeah. then of course we're such little pussies that yeah, we were like, like sipping them. He's like, "What are you, what doing? you doing? Why don't you fucking finish them? Fucking finish this <laughs> shot, man!" It's like. A, a Boston we guy, but I'm on island time. I'm on island time. <laughs> I just, you know. Different hobbies, man. Different, different hobbies. Different hobbies. Same me. Just, you know, in our in the ongoing, uh, uh, you know, podcast universe to just correctly identify and synthesize uh, definitions of all the, quote, types of guys. Yeah. Boston, Miami is a powerful type. Um, yeah. So, so Debbie, Angela, Debbie, um, she kind of has this like, post-World War II semi-idealized childhood. Her father works at a silk factory. Sure, absolutely. You know, she she's playing in the woods. She's got an active imagination. She's she's a psychic. By the way, she's psychic. Debbie Harry is psychic. psychic. Yes. She said she had has like psychic experiences when she was a child. Throughout okay. the book, she uh, talks about experiences of like seeing poltergeists, okay. ghosts. She's a she's a tapped into the some supernatural energy. She, she, yeah, she's, she knows where the ley lines are. Um, but even participating in this kind of normal childhood, um, she said, I felt like I had a split personality with half of the split missing, submerged, unexpressed, unreachable, and hidden. Mm. So she's kind so of like a little weirdo. Yes. Yeah. Um, she then, she grows up into a, a preteen and a teen where she starts attracting attention from men, mm-hmm. much older men. And this is, this is where we get into, we'll talk about this a bit more later is that her relationship kind of with her looks and the way that specifically men respond to her mm-hmm. seems very born of like, just kind of having to like deal with bullshit, like so much bullshit. I can only imagine. Like right? she, especially in like the sixties and seventies. She and, said she went to Cape Cod when she was 12 and she went with her friend to like the boardwalk and they like dolled themselves up and they got followed home by two guys in their thirties who Christ. opened the, like knocked on her door and her family opened the door. Like her parents opened the door and like thought it was funny. And one guy was a, like a famous drummer named Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich? I know yeah. that name. And the way that she shares this in her books is she's like, oh, you know, I was I was a cute thing. And, uh, you know, this shit's just going to happen. They thought it was very funny. Uh, Buddy, Buddy Harry uh, was American. Buddy, <laughs> Buddy Harry. Buddy <laughs> Rich uh, was a jazz drummer who performed with uh, Tommy Dorsey, Count Basie, and uh, led his own big band. And uh, looks like a total goofball. 
and a, a you know clearly a, a low key you know I'm sure I didn't realize the girl was 12 kind of wow, guy. Wow, she looks so, she looks so mature for our age right. and her parents are like, "Gee, thank you, mister." Yeah, wow. Um, oh, what a creep. Yeah. She's yeah, De- <laughs> Debbie Harry is a creep magnet. Yes. Um okay. and that uh, that puts the onus on her to like not be Me. magnetizing and sure. that sucks. Um I don't mean to put it that way, but surrounded by creeps for a lot of her life. Um she as a teen um, she goes to these like teen clubs with uh, integrated crowds and loves to dance. She says they played a lot of hot black music and everyone danced their ass off. Sounds sounds great. She she is kind of like the she's later in hairspray, but like she's kind of that you she's know like, like the fifties ha- yeah, teen vibe. late late fifties early sixties. Um, and then she <laughs> where everybody it's it's nineteen. 19- <laughs> It's 1963, and everybody's getting just extremely horny for doo-wop. Every, everyone's just twerking to the, to the yeah. Shirelles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I get it, but it's just, it, you know, it's so funny to think, think about, like, listening to, yeah. That that music is, like, like the like, sexual outlet, yeah, and it's, it's like, like get it, yeah. crooning. <laughs> Putting on four men dressed in, in pinstripe suits, harmonizing with each other and being like, shit, I need to fuck. I need to... <laughs> I need to rub my crotch on that girl's ass right, right now, now or yes. I'm going to explode <laughs> as Frankie Valley in the it four looks, seasons singing perfect harmonies <laughs> like a, a mid tempo song about necking under a lamppost. <laughs> it's just, it's just like the, I, I think you should leave. Uh, just so horny. Yeah. The, did you have any calendars or something? You got any doo songs in there or anything? Um, so she goes, she goes to junior college and then she moves to New York. Uh, and this would be like the mid sixties. So like 1965, yeah, yeah. 66. Um, and she just like immediately gets involved in like New York sixties shit counterculture. Yeah. And it's funny. She never, she doesn't really say like, Oh, I was like so different, but she just goes like her parents aren't even like Debbie, don't you want to like get married or <laughs> <Don't>, something? <laughs> don't you want to become Peggy and Mad Don't you want to like, yeah, find a nice boy. Well, she, her first job in New York is a secretary for the BBC. Sure. So she is kind of like Peggy, and Mad yeah. Men, but she doesn't want to, you know, write big beans taglines. Yes. She's got more in store for her than that. Um, so she, she says like, she's going to, people who listen to our uh, Sun Ra episode, she goes to Slugs to see Sun Ra and his orchestra. That, I mean, that is extremely cool. She sees the Velvet Underground, which, also what a mind cool. fuck. Yes. I mean, seeing seeing the Velvet Underground live, like, yes. that's that, dope. That, you are in a rarefied group of people if you actually did that. It's uh, probably, what, there's probably like 500 people, maybe 700 people ever who saw the Velvet Underground live. James Murphy made a joke in um, Meet Me in the Bathroom where he says that he he joked with some guy that they they, they would never appreciate being in the time that they were in. Like if they were in the 60s and they were at the factory, they'd be like, oh, like this this place is so like dirty. It's so weird. And who are these people? The the Velvet Under somethings? They're so screechy. <laughs> yes. Like that's... <laughs> As I'm like, I, I'm fantasizing about being in the factory now even though I imagine being there and just turning to everyone with him be, being like, this aluminum thing is not working out for me. And that guy will not play a second note on his cello. Play, learn a second note, learn a John second Kale. Note, John Kale. Um, so she's, she's getting involved. Um, she goes to these like Soho unfinished loft parties and like happenings. And she like plays, you know, she bangs a gong or whatever. With these groups, she said, I don't know if I banged sticks together or screamed, probably both. Sure. Um, she gets involved in this hippie 
like folk group called the wind in the willows which is the worst band name i have ever heard of mm, in my entire yes. fucking life uh i'm sure not as cool as like the fugs or whatever will you look up she said she sang lead on one song and i'm not sure if it, it was ever committed to tape right, let's see it's the wind in the willows and it's G- genie judy d-j-i-n-i judy <laughs> wind and the willows in the willows the wind in the willows mm-hmm. dj I and I, Judy. Does it is it real? Well, let's see. Debbie, it does Wind of the Wells, Debbie Harry. Okay. Genie, yeah. Oh, I get what you're saying. Like Ginny. Like like a gin. Like a gin. Yes. Yes. All right, we got this. <laughs> oh my god, kill me. The album cover is also fucking hilarious. The Some real heavy shit. I mean, this is the dark side of all the 60s fun is we have to listen to music like this. <laughs> no wonder the Velvet Underground existed. Yeah. I feel like this is something that uh, somebody would dig up to be in like a 60s movie that's a joke. Like this should be in like the uh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soundtrack. As, as a like real like weird What they're listening to in like Spawn Ranch or something. Oh, the time signature change. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, what's just funny is that Debbie here really didn't talk about having like musical talent or musical desires as a child. She yeah. was just like, I don't know that it's more like a, an effect of the social life as opposed to a a, a, a innate will. Yeah, she's like, You're okay, hanging. well, if I want to hang out, I'll have to sing. Okay, yeah, as opposed to I want to sing. Yeah, you you just like wander around lo- uh, New York uh, clubs long enough, and eventually you end up in a band. Yes. I feel like there are other people who I've read, maybe in like Please Kill Me, who have talked about like being in a band as being not like a goal, but as like the price of admittance right. to, to doing this. It's just stuff. like the truly like the social like grouping. Currency, yeah, yeah. Um you have to like get into your pod or whatever. Yes, exactly. Uh so then she she has a bunch of random jobs. She starts waitressing at Max's Kansas City, of which course, is like yeah, the, the cool place. The cool place to to go. She talks about waiting on Miles Davis and like just being like, oh my god, it's Miles what Davis. Miles Davis. Um, and she says she says of that scene, she said it was such was a he, big. Was he a good tipper? She didn't say. <laughs> she said that she, he was with a white lady who did all the talking and ordering. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably because he was strung out. <laughs> um, I mean, speaking of being strung out, she said. That that scene, it was such a big flirtation, such a scene. Everybody on the scene did drugs. It was a more innocent time. They weren't doing scientific studies and setting up methadone clinics. If you wanted to do drugs, you did drugs. And if you got hung up or sick, you were on your own. <laughs> yes. Well, it was also, um, I mean, I was I was about to joke about the the in the wind in the willows song is like just imagining doing doing that while somebody passes you a joint that's like this is the sick this is the hardest shit you'll ever do and it's like one percent of the uh, mids that we do these days yeah did you see the the picture of the like the high time strains of the year from 1975 i'm like the comment was like oh so this is why they called it grass yes exactly (laughs) she looks like lawn 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 trimmings yes um yeah so i what i didn't realize is that debbie harry had been doing heroin since the late 60s I, did I didn't know, know she was a heroin person. Yeah, I did not know that either. I mean, it's 
no surprise that literally anybody in the New York scene in the 60s and 70s was like a heroin person, but she is a she. I didn't know her didn't as know like a known, her. you know, the yeah. quantity the way other people from the New York scene were. Yes. Um, but yeah, so like she said, like, uh, yeah, I did heroin and it was great. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> did it on and off for like 20 years. Oh, the rare person who can hold their shit on heroin. For yeah, like a, a real uh, longevity based junkie. She said she's she's like chipping basically for like on it. Like it wasn't like she got like hella strung out, yeah, but like yeah, that that's <laughs> the, a thing. W- one of the few people with a strong enough. I mean, maybe this is to a credit about her constitutional coolness is that she's one of the rare people who can do just a little she's, bit of heroin and be cool with too it. Too cool to get extremely addicted to heroin. Yes, I mean that's a. The, that's a joke, really, but yeah, but, but yeah, literally, how many people would be covered who have dabbled in heroin and been able to do just a dabble? Not a lot of people, almost none. Yeah, maybe one other person, but I can't remember off the yeah off the the my, the top of my head. Almost, she, she's every, the only person I actually think who mentions doing heroin who doesn't have a rock bottom. Who that heroin doesn't be, become at least a plot yes, in the book? Right? Yeah, it's it's only lightly a plot. Like sometimes uh, she'll just remind you, like by the way. By the way, I was still on heroin. doing heroin. Uh, cred to Debbie Harry, then. Yeah, well, I mean, cr- credit in the extent that she's just lucky. I think she's just constitutionally Probably, lucky. Yes, uh, and one maybe it's because she's a psychic or something. Sure, one of the few, the proud, holding their shit on heroin. Yeah. Um. So she, yeah, so she's working in Kansas, Mexican City. She's doing the drugs. She quits Mexican City. Is a Playboy bunny for a little while. Do you know at, that? Like at the Playboy, at the club? Playboy Club. Also didn't know that. Also not surprising. Uh, like, I I didn't know that either. Never in the magazine, but uh, in the but like worked at the club. Yeah, she would probably be someone that Lane Price uh, and Mad Men would have hit on or grabbed her very politely. Oh, M- madam, may I, if you don't mind, uh, if I could possibly uh, put my hand upon your bo- bottle. <laughs> Um, and then remember when they tried to do a Mad Men spinoff, like a Mad Men competition show about the Playboy Club? I do. It lasted not long. Not one season. Yeah. I Uh, forgot about that. They also did Pan Am, which was like the like flight attendant Mad Men. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish I forgot about that splurt of uh, of like, like, oh, y'all like the 60s? Yeah, let me see what we can do. Honestly, the Playboy Club seems like something that could or should work as a, uh, as a show. I think the big problem with it it aired on fucking NBC. Mm, that's tough. Yeah. Put that put that on HBO. Make or that something. yeah, make that prestige, baby. Show some tits. Honestly, maybe I should suggest doing the uh the Playboy Club to uh Felix's ongoing examination of of NBC and other network dramas. We've been talking a lot privately about just the the dearth of horniness in today's pop culture. Yeah. Like you know, beyond, not just internet. Internet is very horny right now, but like media products and also life. I'm like, why can't like, what is stopping people from having like a Playboy Club now, but mm-hmm. like different, like a woke Playboy Club? Just a cute girl in a little costume, like a maid cafe in Japan. Yes, I mean, you know what that really is? Is um, like, why can't that, that be that an experience for us like all? The, the queer. Sexy club space. House of Yes. Yes. But no, what that's that's about self-expression. That's not about serving but someone. It is very, it, you're right. It yeah. is very horny. That, that's about, that's horny, but that's like, uh, that's a different kind of horny. I'm talking about like com- like capitalist horny. Yes. Like hor- mon- monetizable horny. Yes. Anyway, just a thought. <laughs> clearly, clearly quarantine is kind of me. I'm like, I want to touch a butt <laughs> in public um, no, and pay money for it. Uh, 
let's under fairly dictated prices. Yes, under fairly, uh, you know, unionized labor. Um, Anyway, so Debbie's like living this life for five years, and she's like, then I kind of hit a dead end. (laughs) Wait, sorry, I'm just on the Wikipedia page for Play Playboy Club. Uh, Number of episodes seven parentheses four unaired. There's there's a vault with four ep- four episodes of unaired Playboy Club. But they only got three to the air. Let them out. <laughs> Let them out. Let them lose. The world needs to see. The world needs to see, especially now. Who who is the lead actor in the Playboy Club? Oh, that would be uh, Amber Heard, isn't that? She cute. She, Eddie Eddie Cibrian. Eddie Laura Am- Benati. Amber Heard has been so uh, unbelievably tarnished by her association with Johnny Depp that yeah. it like I like feel bad for her. Eddie yes. Cibrian is Leanne Rimes' husband. Ooh. Anyway. Good for Eddie Cibrian. <laughs> He's like vaguely related to the uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills universe, I'm pretty sure. Anyway. Maybe we should watch and comment on the Playboy Club. Let's go back to Debbie. Yes. Um, Debbie has hit a dead end and she moves back to Jersey. No. To like live basically like a normie life. Like she gets like a regular job. She gets into the, and she gets in a relationship with this guy who turns out to be awful, like an abusive stalker psycho okay so she's home for a while and then has this horrible relationship and basically moves back to new york city to get away from him yeah imagine sucking so hard that you yeah. drive debbie all, harry back to it's also like downtown. you know uh waitressing in the playboy club while also like intermediately on heroin in like be, and taking orders from miles davis in like the dirty downtown uh new york scene in the late 60s and you disappear for like 18 months and come back, come back to that. And you, they're like, where were you, Debbie? And they're, and she's like, I got a house in Jersey and a job. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I tried to live a square now, life and it's sucked now pass shit. me that bunny suit and a little bit of heroin. <laughs> and let's, let's, let's get back into it. Let's get the night going, baby. Um, yeah, and so th- this is this, the the kind of part of her life where you know content war content warning rape. Um, she's got she's been in really bad situations with men. This guy eventually he stalks her back to New York, breaks into her apartment, and holds her at gunpoint and tries to rape her. It Jesus. doesn't sound like he succeeded, but then a little bit later, uh, when she's already in Blondie and she's with um. Chris Stein, her mm-hmm. like partner of like 13 years yes. and Blondie partner. Um, they get followed home, like hustled into their apartment, like tied up, robbed, and then she gets raped at knife point. Jesus Christ. Like she has been through some shit. She keeps talking about like once she hitchhiked to get a ride home and like uh, realized that she was basically in the car from death proof. Like there were no locks or like w- like ways to get out of the car. So she had to launch herself out of the window. Oh, God. Um, just like, I mean, being, this is where I, I had mentioned Patty Smith earlier talking about how magical New York in the sixties and seventies was when you're just like this like weird bum, po- a poetic bum. I'm See, like, it was really unsafe for women. That, so, I mean, again, we'll get into this when we ever do, uh, yeah, just kids. But you know, the thing about just kids is that the essential tragedy written into that, into her book is that her like friend dies tragically Mm -hmm. and everything else is like i was i slept on a doorstep and didn't i slept in i did acid and slept in washington square park and wow but it's only it only is magical in retrospect because nothing bad Bad happened happened to her her. meanwhile that she she disclosed that she discloses meanwhile debbie harry who apparently approaches all these things as being like yeah i had a normal life it's like 
raped at, raped at knife point. Has Almost to jump out of a moving, moving car to avoid being kidnapped. Kidnapped. Talked about like one time she was she knew that her lock stuck and she was like, yeah, it was always tricky with the keys, but like one night it, her keys went in perfectly and she closed the door and then she heard behind her the disappointed sigh of a man who had been following her home. Jesus, I am so like this is where I mean this is just unfortunately the the plight of reading rock memoirs of people who existed in the 20th century. I'm so goddamn sick of reading female memoirs and they all get raped. Everyone gets raped. It sucks. Like, you, being a woman is not ideal. And what's funny is that Debbie is not, she's not like, oh my God, like, he ruined my life. Yeah, I was going to ask what her tone is. as Cool as a cucumber. Cool as a goddamn cucumber. She's it's just like, like it's yeah, like, it's that like, was the price of living in New York for her. Glad glad I got out of that situation. Shame I didn't get out of that other one. Stuff she like said that. of of the guy who basically did the like kidnapping uh gun or knife point rape, she said, uh, in the end, the stolen guitars hurt me more than the rape. She <sighs> Debbie Harry's more pissed that you took her fucking equipment than that you raped her. It's, that's intense. That's a, I mean, that's the mindset I guess you really have to have if you were living in New York in the, the 70s, which was definitely not an ideal time to live in New York. But yeah. I'm just like every goddamn woman that we we discuss, it's like the not to bring up the Louis C.K. joke about like men's biggest fear is women laughing at mm-hmm. them and women's biggest fear is men killing them. But every woman that we've read about is like almost killed by a dude. And it's, guys are like, oh, my dick didn't work when I was too high. It I made was me too feel drunk sad. to play the guitar solo. Oh, no. I, I didn't want to, to, to you know, be, be a downer about this, but well, it sounds it's like what's frustrating. exceptional about this and maybe what's triggering it is the kind of blase way that she relates it. And that I just, I that imagine it, it was a reality. traumatizing to her. That the, the guitar loss mm-hmm. was more important than the sexual violence yeah and it was just the reality of also being broke in new york is that you weren't living in a nice place you You couldn't afford like in bad areas yeah Yeah. you she had to you know she couldn't afford a cab home like she had to hitchhike like she was hey she played at cbgb that place that area sucked until like 2000 and then became (laughs) unbearably rich in like seven years yeah and then you could buy some some john john vavardos varvados leather pants belts (laughs) anyway it's just it's it's. Uh, I would say that what men have done to Debbie is a kind of a big chunk of the book, but she never. I don't think she's resentful because, and well, t- you know, she's not resentful because she knows that the very things that make her vulnerable are also her superpower, right? Which is that she's a good-looking woman, yes, a good-looking, talented, cool woman. Yes. So she's like, all right, people are going to try to take advantage of this, but also, I, this is what makes me famous, powerful, creative, and cool, right? Sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Um, I I don't. I wouldn't want to. I'm. I'm a little baby. I wouldn't want to live in New York in the '70s if that was my reality. You would think I would you, probably be like Patty Smith, dressing like a dude. <laughs> you, you, I mean, I I feel Wearing like I think that pants. I would. But I mean, you, these guys have to be. These guys and girls do and did have to be actual punks. You have to be bad. You have to, to do this. Truly, shit. be a badass. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we. We move on. She gets into, so she's back in the city, back in the big bad city. Um, she gets into music because she gets into the New York dolls. Mm-hmm. That's like her inflection point is like she watches like, the dolls. A, like a, a breakthrough band in like downtown. A tr- yeah. Band. A truly iconic <laughs> gender like, bending. Like, I just imagine, you know, Deb, a person like Debbie Harry who's been bumming around the New York scene for a while 
and then going to the, uh, what is it, like the Mercer Art Center, the thing that collapsed, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing the New York Dolls play, and then going home and taking all those those uh, vinyls of The Wind in the Willows and just looking at them and being like, what am I doing? Yeah. Just throwing them out the window. Yes. Have we ever played New York Dolls on the show? I'm not sure. They've got good songs. Yeah, do you want to Let's play New York Dolls? dolls I, they are. New York Dolls are definitely like a Rosetta Stone band in the way yeah, of like, like David Bowie, of yeah. just like people who realize, oh, I can do... That? that yes okay <laughs> uh trash come pick it up uh just because we never played this how much have we actually gone into to nyc in the 70s i feel like we've kind of avoided it a little bit nyc in the 70s i mean we did the punk scene with like Viv albert but that was more uk punk. that was uk sun Ra was existing simultaneously but not quite on the same planet <laughs> but we've never really done this which yeah. is there's so much written about this that this is our the fact that this is our first uh, NYC punk book is kind of uh, interesting yes yes the cramps we did the cramps cramps who I would say are they're New York and they're LA yeah a little bit of both so, I mean I guess it's like just from a very technical uh, standpoint, it's basically like taking the Rolling Stones, turning the speed up, turning the volume up, but then adding the weird like gender bending. Yeah, stuff making to it, se- it making it sexy. I would say, sexy, I mean, sexier and sexier in a deviant way. The Ramones are kind of maybe inherently sexy in some ways, or that rebellion is sexy, mm-hmm. but like they weren't trying to be sexy. I well, think they were trying to be masculine and what's sexy well, is being weird about gender. I would say that is sexy. I would say that the thing that the Ramones take from the New York Dolls is being clown men. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and dressing up in a costume that's like a signif- like a signifier of like a fake greaser that like yes. n- never existed. I mean, we just watched what Saturday Night Fever and that that's like grease. Grease. Sorry. <laughs> we watched grease. Grease grease is the word. Grease is the word. We just watched grease and that's like you know, from a little late, this is what, like 72, 73, Ramones hit in 74, 75 is yeah. their first album. Um, but that idea of like taking everybody's memory of the 70s and then turning it into a, uh, a joke yes. thing, I think that that's, or the 50s and turning it into a joke thing in the 70s, I think that that's what Ramones yes. take from this, of being like, oh, you can be a rock, a quote, rock band as like a quote costume. Yes. Yes. Anyway. New York Dolls, important band. We're Very just, important. Just putting it, putting a pin in them because I'm sure as we do this longer, we'll talk about them again. I mean, talk about entryways into the social scene. She mentions that she one of the reasons that she actually got in with the New York Dolls is because she had a car and none of them had a car. Hell yeah! So she would literally like give, give them, them rides. rides. Yeah, which honestly, not a bad, not a bad strategy. Excellent, important way to get in. Um, and so she says about the New York Dolls. She said, "I wanted to be just like them." Actually, I wanted to be them. I just didn't know how exactly to get it rolling, which is a, a common sentiment of like women mm-hmm. in the 70s of being like, I would like to be in a band like that, but I don't know how. Who will be in a band with yes. me? Like, I would like to be just like that, but in my own band. Can someone tell me how to do this? <laughs> like, start, start a band. Start a band. Like, just like that. Yes. Like you. Yes. And friend. again, we were talking about that flip, flip side. Look at all the 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 nerdy trash men around you, and look at your yourself, and kind of be like, "Well, I'm pretty, and I can sing." So literally anybody in this room who plays an instrument would would like to be around me forever. And that is what happened. Um, basically, I think on the sheer force of like her own 
attractiveness and charisma, she creates a girl group. It's three women. It's called the Stilettos. Mm-hmm. So it's her and two other women, and they're they're all singing. And then there's an all male backing band. It's sure. kind of a nice kind of a nice look. Um, yeah, and they're, again, going back to those halcyon days of a uh, of horny Motown and doo-wop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she her her entire kind of like. Uh, goal as a musician, she says, I just wanted to bring dancing back to rock. Yes. And that is a very does. powerful. It, it's so funny that rock music seems to exist on this weird parabola where like every, I don't know, eight or nine years, people forget to dance to it. And then someone is like, hey, guys, what if rock music yes. but dance? And everyone is like, whoa, that's so crazy, Debbie. You're so you are so right. Uh, Here's a song on iTunes or on YouTube called mm. labeled anti-disco by Debbie Harry and the stilettos 1972. But I don't think that Sounds very bloody. Yeah. This goes. This goes hard. Yeah, this goes it's very harder. Hard. Than, harder than I would have imagined. Yeah. Anti-disco, I didn't realize that, uh, if this is actually from 72, I mean, who knows if I can trust this YouTube thing. I didn't realize that disco as a a, a signifier was going that early on. I thought that was more, you it's know. It was more disco like, tech. Sort of like 74 or something was yeah. maybe when things started to be called disco. Yeah. So, Stilettos is where she kind of gets her, you know, dolls like glittery, glam, rock and right. roll kind of thing going um, but then after a little while, she meets Chris Stein, who is the Blondie's, uh, Blondie's guitarist mm-hmm. and also her ends up being her romantic partner for 13 years. Uh, and they sort of gradually in the way that you do form Blondie, uh, which Blondie was originally called Blondie and the Bonsai Babies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, sure. Which talk about, uh, you know, the Facebook, just make it Facebook. Just make it's it cleaner. Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, the other. I'd just like to stop real, real quick and, and shout out Chris Stein, you know, along with Chris France for being some of the, uh, the, the few punk rock Chris's. The punk rock 70, uh, uh, New York the, City Chris's. Chris's. The New York City Chris's. New York uh, City Chris. Uh, two guys who also seem like just as much of a uh, earnest music loving nerd who I like. I think that I would be if yes. I was if I was among the uh, 70s Chris's. Yeah, there, there's something about the uh, a punk Chris. Yeah. Hey guys, want to start a punk rock band? <laughs> like basically that. <laughs> yeah. Wonder uh, if we made it go faster. Yeah, that's the sound. Yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's how I imagine me uh, me being in that in, era. A, in the room there. Whoa, you guys are all doing a lot of heroin. We should really get back to practice. <laughs> but feel uh, free to turn that distortion up. Sounds good. <laughs> Keep it coming. The the other 
anecdote I wanted to share about the early formation of Blondie is that when they are auditioning drummers, Debbie notes that, of all people, Patti Smith crashes their audition, <laughs> listens to who eventually becomes their drummer, Clem Burke, listens to his audition, critiques it, and then leaves. What a psycho. Patty, I do not love Patty Smith. She's, well, Debbie said, what nerve showing up on our auditions like that. Yes. Uh, Debbie is, is, has got Patty's number in this a little bit. I would imagine because Patty Smith is someone who affects coolness and Debbie Harry sounds like somebody who is just cool. And Patty Smith is uh, the, one of the most successful social climbers of yes, all time. Yes, she is. Debbie Harry, not a social climber, just, just social. social. Uh, also the other the, the difference between acting cool and being cool. Yep. The, the other part of the formation of Blondie and like Debbie kind of figuring out her aesthetic, she says, uh, her, that her, she calls her aesthetic more challenging than Patty Smith, who is like famously a, a tomboy and yeah. her, her like weird skinny tie. Um, and she says to be an artistic, assertive woman in girl drag, yes. not boy drag, was then an act of transgression. I buy that. And if you look at Debbie Harry costumes from that time, she is in girl drag. That's a great way to describe what she's wearing. Like she's wearing these like dresses, but they're sloppy. You know what it kind of is? Is a kind of forerunner to Madonna. Well, yeah, Madonna kind of stole Debbie's career a little bit in the I 90s. I guess, but you, you needed Madonna a- has her own thing, but Madonna was absolutely filling, in retrospect, the Debbie Harry slot that Debbie wasn't. Well, you need, the, the just by the way the timing works out and also because of Debbie Harry's age, you need, and, and like the technology, mm-hmm. like what Madonna sounds songs sound like, mm-hmm. like you need, there needed to be another leap and that needed to go down a generation to move into the like the 80s synth techno thing that was was definitely not like a rock band yeah that was like a, a pop solo artist yep but there's very a very clearly con- clear continuity there yeah um but yeah the i but the, if you just look up like google image search debbie harry's 70s and think of that of that like to be playing girl drag and see some of these dresses and looks and stuff yeah it makes sense i mean she is a, she is a like a punk prom queen yes and that's, I mean, I just think her, her, her ideas about gender are very interesting. And later on, she says more about it. But just like at that time, the idea of just like being a, like a extra, an ultra woman <laughs> yes. was subversive. Like, I just thought that was interesting. Being wo- woman-y. She's also, I mean, she's surrounded by gender chaos. You yes. have the New York Dolls who are all presumably straight or set mostly straight dudes yeah i mean i think at a certain point a lot of the punk guys would just like fuck anything that moves yeah and like that's and punk like, <laughs> that's punk to fuck whatever uh <laughs> yes uh it reminds me of that one uh this is a venture brothers very very deep cut off of one of the uh commentary episodes where they talk about colonel gentleman and his uh younger like boy um colonel gentleman being an old elderly british explorer and his young br- young boy manservant and they're just improvising in, in his voice and he's like Fuck Kiki. Of course I fuck Kiki. Look at him. He's beautiful. That doesn't make me gay. It makes me schmuck. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, like that that thing of being like, being like man, I'm a Ramon. I'll, I'll fuck anything that I'll wants fuck to fuck whatever. me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's true. It's it's gender chaos at that yeah. time. And she's kind of performing her own version gender of, of gender like chaos and being like sexy, but like a like in her head, like it's like a weirdly like masculine sexy or yeah. like her brain is a dude's, but her body's a woman's. I don't know. Very, very interesting. 
Um, so then Blondie. Did you show me a picture of her wearing like a prom dress made of razor blades? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That yeah. that that fits into this. That's the vibe. Um, so then Blondie starts recording together and that's when there's like a seven year period where they're basically just like ascendant. Mm-hmm. Um, so should we listen to some, some, some Blondie? Yeah. Fuck yeah. So what they the era of Blondie is, is what? Like 75 to 82. Yeah. That's like when they're kind of at their prime in terms of hit making. Yes. Uh, let's go back and listen to a cut off of their uh, first album, which is 76 is Blondie, right? Yes. Oh, God. I keep remembering good Blondie songs. Yeah. Uh, let's listen to X Offender. Oh, yeah. I saw you standing on the corner. You look so big and fine. I really wanted to go out with you. So when you smiled, I laid my heart on the line. Well, it's kind of funny because it is in between like that, that Ramones just like three chord chords powering through it. And then the, uh, uh, and then, yeah, like the extra instrumentality instrumentation and emotionality of like a early Bruce Springsteen song that like harkens back to that like all harkening back to like that that greaser thing yeah uh as our friend cast and future guest Matthew Perpetua has said uh the most negative way that you can see punk is as a reactionary youth movement Eh. uh that is a uh a a self-conscious attempt to erase progress and go back to a more Go back to the sock hop. Go back to the sock hop but to go to back to a more essentialist, both musically formalist and also in terms of like gender and yeah. stuff. But that's all mi- also mixed into like the gender chaos is like a way of not maybe embracing the gender chaos of the day, but like making fun of it. Yeah. Like dressing up like women because it's like funny and punk being like, you know, uh, in the tr- in the same time, punk rock is like a, basically a, a similar way of calling it like bitch rock. Yes. Uh, of of self consciously facing that it's like wussier in some way. Yes. Well, that's what I and mean, trying to go back to a more masculine. Debbie anyway. Harry's entire career is basically just figuring out how to like exist in the patriarchy. Yeah. Not trying to subvert the patriarchy, but just it trying just to exists. exploit it. Yeah. Uh, very good. Yes. This song is good though. Uh, what's the guy's name? Clem? Clem Burke. I like how tight Clem Burke's uh, snare rolls are. I know that's a weird thing to say, but I've been listening to a, a few of these oh, songs. Wait. He has a just, just extremely uh, just, like, uh, taut snare rolls that I really appreciate. I always love the, the adding of the, uh, the organ parts to it. That gets more elaborate over time. And we'll talk about this later, but I like how they uh, add in little like electronic drum effects as mm-hmm. they go on, stuff like that. That's X Offender by Blondie off their 1976 album, Blondie. <laughs> um, the, so they're, they're ascendant. They go on tour for the first time. Who's on the bill? 
just just a little guy named David Bowie and his friend Iggy Pop. That's a good tour. That is a good tour. Whoever is out there who saw those shows, seventy like seventy six. Goddamn, Bowie, Bowie, Pop, Blondie. Mm. Come on. Uh, I I had said this to you yesterday, but um, one anecdote, kind of the honestly the main anecdote that Debbie Harry shares about David Bowie before his death, a, a few. Uh, dozens of pages later is that one night she acquired a bunch of cocaine for sure. you know whatever reasons but she's she's not actually that into coke she uh she says it affects her throat sure uh and so she brings it you know brings it to the the dudes and she gives it to david bowie and he just whips his dick out and uh she's like yeah you know he's got a a, a gigantic dick like what a what a funny thing for david bowie to do and i was just like once again like the things at that time that were like just a funny part of your personality would get you me too so goddamn fast yes. your head would spin if you did that now it's so it's just funny that the the you'd, way standards change like i mean it's about cons- of, consent at the end of the day maybe like- demi Harry wants to look at his dick i don't know <laughs> I mean, I feel like I don't want to get canceled for this, but it is <laughs> yes. David Bowie's dick. Maybe that makes a qualitative <laughs> difference. No, I'm just saying it's, it's it's funny. It's like how how much things change the more they say the same. Yeah, or, plus Ashans, plus plus dicks out. Yes, 40, 40 years. Y'all, and, y'all keep and on it's to, like, to well, get now your wing you couldn't wings even out. do that. And now, double reference on this episode, mm-hmm. Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. did that. Got called out, mm-hmm. still touring, still making money, still has his fan base. So you and you're like, oh no, now that would that would be something that you get in trouble for. Well, he got in trouble for it. He but got what in is trouble. It, but what has it done? But he's yeah, he's not canceled. Canceled a lot of people. Very but very weird David territory. Dick. Yeah. But I be I mean, here's the thing. She shared the anecdote in the book because he is David, David Bowie. Bowie. If he wasn't David Bowie, he would be some creep who showed her his dick. David Bowie taught me it was okay to take my dick out. Oh my god! No, no, no! Just, just being, kidding. Being a woman at this time is just dicks, dicks everywhere. Just wall of dicks. Uh, anyway, they 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 tour nonstop. This is where Debbie starts complaining about how you know the the machine of the music industry of mm-hmm. just chewing you up and spitting you out. Uh, they they put out parallel lines, which the record company complains has no hits what? on. Of course. Uh, by my count, why are record companies so, so bad? Stupid. At this? By my count, uh, Parallel Lines has at least three monster hits on it. I mean, I guess is that the paradox of like you turn in a, a record to the record company and, and they're like, "Wow, look at how many hits!" and then you don't get, get any. any. Yeah. Uh, is it just their job to be disapproving? We need a single. If you don't know, Parallel Lines has "Hanging on the Telephone," "One Way or Another," and "Heart of Glass" on it. All three of which uh, rip. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all all good songs. Again, I don't know many of these beat. Besides, uh, do you want to maybe let's play a little bit of a popular one and then a little bit of a, yeah. a deeper cut? Uh, let's go. Uh, I mean, I love Heart of Glass, and that has some of those drum effects. Yeah, let's listen to Heart of Glass. I'll never say no to Heart but of Glass. This is also the, them being a. Here's my question going into this. Are Blondie the first dance punk band? I mean, they brought, they brought dance back to rock. And more importantly, they brought dance to punk. Yes. They bridged that gap. Yeah. I mean, isn't dance punk just new wave? Am I taxonomically yes, fucking it up? Yes, but this is like new wave. 
New Wave does stuff with Billy's things. Also, this is like 78. This is still pretty early yeah. in, the, in the history. But this is this is a straightforward disco song. But yes. it brings some of the attitude of all the other stuff that they brought in. I mean, this has one way or another and hanging on the telephone. Hanging on the telephone. Rips. That, that's like a punk song. I just think that they're like... Yes, New Wave like synthesizes those those things of like pop and punk into a new thing, but of being like we're a punk band that's going to do a straightforward disco song. Mm-hmm. I would say I would give them the crown on that. Yeah. Got the synth going on those those sequence sixteenth notes. Well, also like the se- sequence bass notes. It really is like fusion music. Yeah. All right. Should we, should uh, we yeah. listen to Let's a listen song to that a, I don't know? 1159. Tell me something I don't know. We'll go to a 1159 Great. on this. And this is more like throwback, like 50s-ish punk rock, like that would go good in like, you know, you could see them playing in the same set as the Ramones. Yeah. I do love how like ethereal her voice is. Yeah, she has a very cool voice. I don't know if it's a good voice, but it's, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. I still like the fullness of the uh, of the instrumentation on these. Yes, maximalist. It is. <laughs> I just feel like she brings really like movie girl energy yes, to this yes. stuff. Which See, is a I very mean, punk energy. Which is like very B-movies. punk energy and very similar to, to the Cramps. Yeah. Although that's a beat movie dude, which is a little different from a beat movie late. Again, the whole Debbie Harry, I, I've said this this word several times here, but the, the whole Debbie Harry energy is like disaster prom. <laughs> disaster you, you know, prom, right? Yeah. yeah. Or like like a prom in a B movie that gets invaded that, by giant monster, ants, yeah. or ants or something, yeah. you know? Yeah, yes. Um, which is from cool. Beat. Yeah. And it, kind of an internal aesthetic, even mm-hmm. though that, that fits very well with that like cramps, late 70s, like punk, like, like creep reimagining of idyllic fifties. Mm-hmm. Yes. But also last forever. Disaster prom is something that, that, that goes on for every teen era. Yeah. You know what else would fit, the, fit that aesthetic today? Mm-hmm. Uh, Euphoria. Euphoria is very disaster prom. Riverdale's disaster Does, prom. Disa- did I just, this, did I coin an aesthetic? The, there? the entire Maybe. CW is basically disaster, disaster prom. prom. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I like that. Um, so yeah, Blondie's killing it. Uh, hits after hits. Meanwhile, she's just participating in all of these absolutely iconic uh, items of of late seventies, early eighties New York culture. Um, she gets involved with her friend Glenn O'Brien's TV party, which is TV like, party. I don't know if our listeners would know about the this public access 
show in New York City where you could basically just do whatever the fuck you wanted. So you had like Basquiat doing graffiti like on a green screen or something and uh, weird, you know, weirdos being brought in to be interviewed, drag queens and Andy Warhol and all this bullshit, like just like media chaos. Yes. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, Debbie is involved in that. M- Molly said this to me beforehand, but, um, you know, one, we've been doing these uh, music video live streams. And I think that a good thing to to aim for would be uh, trying to to make it a TV party. Modern day TV party. Well, so hopefully once we can talk to people again, and maybe even before that, we'll have some uh, interesting guests on and try to do some some chaos streaming. I watched a few years ago a documentary about um, kind of like the no wave movement. I think it's called Blank Generation. Was it called Blank Generation? I don't know what the fuck it's called. Uh, it's about just like that whole aesthetic and vibe of like TV party, uh, graffiti, people making movies who don't know, who did not know how to make a movie, like yeah. Amos Poe, like all that shit. And I, that was one of the first things I was just like, oh, that's cool. Like that DIY, that's like, doesn't die with each mm-hmm. generation. You just get new tools to do it with. Yes. Like they just had super eight cameras and uh, public access and like, now we got Twitch. Yes. We should be grateful. We, we should be. Now everyone can be their own public access uh, performer. Um, also, I mean, t- to that extent, this th- this is probably, it's kind of like a boomery uh, sentiment, but it's what I vibed the most with in this book, is Debbie saying, today, it's all about being famous, but in those days, it was about making something happen. Yes. And I was like, Hell yeah, Debbie. I mean, you that, are so right. Yeah, I mean, everything, <laughs> making something happen versus being Making something being so happen at, versus being just famous. being. Yes. That's where, I mean, my biggest fear, like the thing I get so upset about in influencer culture, which Fiona Apple on her latest album called out as, uh, you know, I'm upset that you're presenting your life like a fucking propaganda brochure, is that everyone is obsessed with being and no one is obsessed with doing. I like to do. I like to do. I like to make. Uh, the the idea of just like putting yourself out as an identity and not as like someone who can create stuff bothers me. I feel like Debbie vibes with that. Yes. And what I was going to add is like it, the, and then the sad thing that you see as the dissociative thing from that is that now everybody has to operate themselves as a individual brand. Yes. It's not enough to make things. You have to be the person who you have makes to be the, the sing, the single the thing. thing. Yes. That is like some kind of totalizing thing. And, and almost nobody Especially like like new up and coming singers and and rappers and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Very few people are like. Maybe the last thing from that was like maybe the, the like the Odd Future crew mm-hmm. or something was like, oh, that's a crew that mm-hmm. that's like m- working together to make something collaborative. Yeah, there is something very like. But chaotic. then you have Brockhampton, who admittedly like I love Brockhampton's music, but I'm aware of them as they are a, the brand called Brockhampton. I think before they are a band right, called right, Brockhampton. Right. They have graphic designers in the band. Come on. <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's that's very factory-ish. That's yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, they are ma- they are making things. I should uh, say that too. Obviously, it's like refracted through an era of personal branding exercise, but having a graphic designer in your in your band is very uh Andy Warhol. That is very Andy Warhol. And now I'm just thinking of like Andy Warhol is someone who encouraged being like most of his superstars were people who just were. Yeah. He would put them in movies or like he would take pictures of them, but mostly they existed as what Debbie Harry would say is living art. You were living art, art. which now influencers, are they living art? 
be in one of my movies. <laughs> Every impression I've heard of Andy Warhol is that he was extremely soft spoken. Yes. Mm, yeah. I, I want to make a movie that's just the Empire State Building. But then it gradually dissolves into a huge penis to represent the phallic nature of New York City. Mm, I want to mm, put you in a, a film where you eat a cheeseburger while a man sucks your cock off screen <laughs> would you be interested interested in that? in that you know who is the og influencer edie fucking sedgwick yes. edie sedgwick didn't do anything she just bead she danced she bead she, she danced. danced she she was were people as mad at Edie Sedgwick in the 60s and 70s as they are at Kim Kardashian now? It wasn't proliferated in the same way. I think you asked, uh, you know, Anne, Anne Flanderson in Wisconsin of like what she thinks of Edie Sedgwick and she would have been like, like, who? She would have been a who to most people. <laughs> yes. But I think she, de- yeah, it would have been. Transcending Edie Sedgwick from who to them is like the, the miracle of uh, the miracle of, of social the, media. Of the, of social media and so the Edie Sedgwick would be like a sloppy bitch on Instagram if she existed now. <laughs> Like she, she would be. All more incredibly sloppy. Yeah. Um. She would be. She would be doing like drugged up Instagram lives, being like just like talking bullshit. Anyway, this this is all to say. I don't know what it's all to say. Uh, <laughs> other than I, I agree. Like Debbie Harry talking about it wasn't just a bunch of people hanging out trying to do like just like enhance their brands. Mm-hmm. There were there was not branding really. Uh, and most yeah. people were kind of until you got like a record brand. contract, by which point you'd already made it. Yeah, and even that, then you were probably chafing under that yeah. that branding. Uh, but no hits. Have you heard Heart of Glass? Come on. The there's there's a few people that I continue to follow on Instagram who I think are less interested in doing something than in just being the person who could do that thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very fresh. It's very frustrating to to see. And whenever anyone makes a thing or does a thing, I do. I do like that. Yes, I do, I, I do like it when so. I do so like it when someone makes a thing. I do or does so them. like it when someone makes or does a thing. Well, we should push forward in in the the Blondie narrative. Yes. Um. So she's Debbie starts acting. Uh. Mm-hmm. In the movies, the pictures, the silver screen. Um. By the like fourth Blondie album, she's basically tired of new wave as a concept and wants to experiment. She's down. She's down to clown. Mm-hmm. And so she, that's what gets us um, Rapture and The Tide is High is like, those are both kind of departures for Blondie at that point. Yes. Should we listen to Rapture? Yes. One second. The first rap song. I'm kidding. I'm totally uh, (laughs) kidding. I'm uh, looking up. Oh yeah. She's in Videodrome. I forgot about that. Yes. She's in a Cronenberg movie. She's Videodrome rocks. That is the, she says that's probably one of the most, that's the most proud she is of any movie role is that. It's an amazing movie. Mm -hmm. All right. This is off of 1980s Auto American. Yes. Also, just credit to to Blondie as a musical project. Five albums in five years. So they give 76, 78, two in 78. According to this plastic, according to Spotify, plastic letters and parallel lines both come out in 78. Mm-hmm. 79 is Eat to the Beat. Mm-hmm. 80 is Auto American. Mm-hmm. 82 is The Hunter. Mm-hmm. So that's. 76 to 82, six studio albums. Yeah. They, they were Incredible a, uh, output. Mm-hmm. And there's like at least one single on, e- on each of these. 
I should really just go through and put together a huge mega mix of the first six uh, Blondie albums and, and figure out what the, uh, through it. the the B side gems are. Figure out figure out what is going on there. <laughs> yeah, put a, yeah, Get put to the bottom of it. Hold on this until I figure out what's going on here. Yeah. All right, this is Rapture. Great. Those bells are wonderful. The bells are great. Bells, bells, bells. Which is funny because both like the Clash and Talking Heads do this. At the same time, if not a little later. So it's funny to think of uh, like Blondie as like, you know, the artistic innovators past like the Clash and Talking Heads who get, I think, a lot more artistic credit than Blondie does. Yes. But this song goes. It's a jam. I mean, I think what Blondie gets that maybe they don't get enough credit for is like listening to disco music, which is produced mostly produces like a pop song. You know, most big disco songs are like. Uh, leading behind female artists is just like mm-hmm. you know whoever the female artist is and this is a disco song for them and being like I wonder if we do that as like a rock band and maintain all that like groove and stuff yeah. that is in it but we're playing it as like a five piece rock band would play other rock songs yeah. which I think is the thing that I'm trying to isolate of them like being like are they the first dance punk band baseline's mm-hmm. great I mean am I trying to uh, skip around to find the rap I mean, let's li- we got listen to the rap. Let's listen to the rap. Well, I'm trying. I mean, when does it come in? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh god, I don't know. <laughs> oh god, I don't know. The song's uh six and a half minutes long, so. It's a little, it's silly, but it's like a lot of rap at that point was silly because yeah. it just started to exist. Again, this is 1980. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to fault uh, Debbie Harry for doing anything uh, cringe in this because it's, uh, you know, no, but like a not, huge quantity cringe. of the people who listen to this rap. Uh, record this would be the first time they've ever heard anybody do this right yeah. so it's hard it's to not imagine a, it's not a test yeah. it's not a test it's not a test uh, also she she name checks Fab Five Freddy right. it's told, and basically was like hey Fab Five Freddy told me to do this so I'm doing it <laughs> and I think it's it's more than anything I think it's a testament to how much all of these and she ends that rap with literally the word punk rock so it, it's more than anything a testament to how well mixed all yes. the shit was in 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 that time. Yes. Um, 
I don't and this song, think it's, it's, it's a jam. It's a great groove. In it the goes. language of you know current current you know political whatever, where it's a it's appropriation, right? Yeah, yeah. It's appropriating black culture. Do I think it's appropriating black culture? It's ultimately, it's not up for me to decide, but appropriation is basically about taking something and not giving anything back. back? And I don't think that's what this is. Even in, like, she yeah. leaves a breadcrumb, which is Fab Five Freddy. Go, Look, go, fa- find, go his find his album. His album. Like this? Go find his album. I don't know. It's, I, I truly don't, especially such in the early, truly, like, primordial stew of I, the invention of hip-hop, I don't think Debbie Harry was like, I'm going to take black culture I mean, and, uh, like, give it to white people. I'm, I don't think I'm, that I'm, that was yeah. her vibe. I'm more asking the question of what, different from whether it's appropriative or not, I'm more asking the question, is it, uh, is it cringy or not? Yes. And I think that also I, I land on not because, you know, well, she's to be airy. Nobody's ever done And a lot it of, a lot of rapping was cringe at that time. Yeah. It was, it was explain a lot of rap music was yeah. explaining what rap music was, which yes, is exactly. kind of inherently cringe. <laughs> but then, so Debbie does a, another album at this point, which once again, I was just not, a, I wasn't aware of a lot of her career. She made this album called Cuckoo. And the goal of her album was her and Chris Stein saying that they wanted to synthesize black and white music. Okay. And so she worked with like Nile Rogers. Yes. Like she it's, and she said it did not do commercially well, but she's like, Hey, at the same time, Ebony and Ivory came out. <laughs> and like, so it's proof that, you know, it, people were interested in it and it like could be done. And she's, she stands by the aesthetic, but I would love to hear something from something Cuckoo. from Cuckoo. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to hear any uh, parts of this, but uh, I'm just seeing that their 1988 album is called Once More Into the Bleach, which is a fucking great name. That is a crazy uh, for name. A, for a Blondie album. Yep. For After their, a long streak of, uh, or a streak of doing albums every year and then a long streak, streak off, Once More Into, into the, the Bleach. Bleach. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Debbie Harry Cuckoo. Let's see what we got. Did H.R. Geiger do the album cover for this? Uh, I mean, I've, there are a lot of songs on this. Uh, let's see. Uh, Backfired. That's the one with the 12-inch remix. So okay, hopefully th- yeah. this will be the good one. Yeah. Geiger did do the album. Oh, really? Yeah. Backfired. I guess he's just like trying to do a... Uh, like a funk song? Yeah, like a funk rock fusion. You came to my life and also, she she worked with Nile Rodgers before he worked with David Bowie on Life. Hell yeah, she's an innovator. This is again from 1981. Like she did like seven albums in like six years. Uh, Devo did backing vocals on this album. Did backing vocals? Mm-hmm. Do you know what track? Uh, I don't. I don't know if it was one specific song. Let's see if I can find that real quick. I mean, this is cool, but not exceptional. Yeah. More rap. It's true. <laughs> they're, they're credited as Spud and Pud Yes. I'm very glad that I could uh, identify off the top of my head uh, that... H.R. Geiger did the album uh, album art. Nice eye. 
All right, I'm not going to skip around and try to find uh, Mark Mothersbaugh's that's voice okay. on this album. Anyway, yeah. that's backfired. I just i I think it's cool that that she was aware that like there was white music and black music and was trying to to reach across the aisles. To yeah, do, <laughs> reach across. I the just aisles. I mean, yeah. p- picking Nile Rodgers and Chic is not a bad musical move no. by any means. No, it's, and it's, plenty it's, more people have done it since. I mean, it shows how much she's at the nexus. Like she might be one of the figures who is weirdly most at the nexus of all musical trends in like 1980. She's got her finger on the pulse. She does. She's eaten to the beat. Yeah. Uh, She's, she is, has definite punk cred. She is making charting disco songs. Mm -hmm. She is in communication with like Fab Five Freddy and hip hop. Yeah. She is, she is uh, picking up, disco producers to to work on her stuff she was basically punk before it was labeled as such yeah she talked about reading about punk in i think like the new york um like oh god it's like the new york rock journal or whatever like one of those early like new york rock publications and she was like yeah that kind of sounds like me (laughs) (laughs) i guess oh i guess i'm doing that yeah i guess i'm doing that um but you know that was a solo album and of course as bands tend to get the the bands getting tense and uh and awkward and turning more into a business uh than a band and there's all kinds of you know competitive energies in the studio and then eventually they they have a really bad tour where uh chris gets really sick Mm -hmm. uh and debbie basically has to like stop the tour to like take care of him Mm -hmm. and the band breaks up this is in 1982 okay so i just want to clarify because mm -hmm. i'm seeing this now uh once more into the bleach is a best of album Got it. Well, pretty good title for a best of. Better than the best of. <laughs> the best of Blondie. The best of Blondie. The most of Blondie. The blondest. Uh, the blondest. Blonde and blonder. Um, band breaks up, and guess what? Their record deal sucks, and Debbie Harry is broke, and everyone is broke. <laughs> because they've been their being paid advan- advances or whatever still. Their accountant didn't pay her taxes for two years. Oh, Jesus Christ. When she was making the most money. She said, what else could you be but broke when you sold more than 40 million records and you're at the top of your career and you've worked nonstop for seven years with no vacation <laughs> except a few days with some black sheep in the Frischzellen Clinic. That's referring to her going to the Swiss like uh, health restor- sure. restoration <laughs> clinic. But it wasn't like a fancy spa. It was just like in the, the mountains was, of yeah, Switzerland. Yeah, sort of a, like Swedish uh, like yeah. health, uh, health, health nut zone. Um, that sucks. It's such a good run. 40 million albums, seven years. The IRS takes her car, takes her apartment. Like she loses everything. And so she, she does the only thing, you know, you got to do. She start over again. Mm -hmm. So she's acting. She acts in a wrestling themed musical that closes on opening night in Broadway. (laughs) What a baddie. She's a wrestling fan. She's a, she She's grew a, up like as a, a wrestling a, a fan. Professional, pro- mm-hmm. professional wrestling fan. Which I think makes a lot of sense because yes. again, it's that kind of like uh, performative, performative slutty yeah, exactly. girl, like masculine dude thing. Um, and this is where, and she's, she, you know, she's acting in, in good stuff too, like, like Hairspray, Loves John Waters. Uh, but it's at this point in the book where like the narrative kind of breaks down and she starts opening every chapter with, what is a memoir anyway? <laughs> It's like, so 1988 to 2008, what is a memoir? Anyway? What is a memoir? Like she said, how, how do we edit our life into a decent story? I don't know, Debbie, <laughs> probably by leaving that sentence out. Yes. Um, and that like it also, she kind of goes off the rails a little bit of just like the shit that she shares about her life. And one thing in particular 
She talks just apropos of absolutely nothing. She talks about her quest for what she calls the perfect taste. And she said that when she was a kid, she was always after like the perfect taste. And that, I mean that like with food uh, in her mouth. And she said she, for a long time, she never would feel satiated after a meal because she hadn't gotten the, that, perfect, the perfect taste. taste. Okay. And she relates that to being put up for adoption and feeling this sense of abandonment because she thinks that the perfect taste is her mother's, is her breast, mother's milk. breast milk. That's 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 definitely using some brain psychology psychology masterclass on yourself. What is it? the most incredible is that now I'm happy to report that Debbie Harry has found a specific kind of protein powder that she mixes with coconut water that replicates the perfect taste the perfect of her taste. abandoned mother's breast milk. Isn't that crazy? It's a little. <laughs> It's that's a pretty crazy. That's but pretty. That's pretty crazy. It's pretty deep. Um, I don't know. The eighties become the nineties. Uh, she dates Pendulette from Penn and Teller for a while in the nineties. Yes. Uh, you mentioned something offhanded about this, right? So the only way, the only reason that she mentions uh, Penn, who she says is a very intelligent, very uh, kind of acerbic uh, individual. Uh, yeah. It's just, keep, okay. I think he sounds like a smart guy. Uh, he's certainly smart. The way that expresses itself, I don't know. But she says that she was talking to him about the fact that she was so disappointed that it's impossible for a woman <laughs> for a woman to get off in a hot tub and that she would like the position of the jets to be able to help her get off. And he's like, well, where would you put them? She's like, in the seat. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he patents something called the Jill Jet. Oh, oh God. Which is a, a jacuzzi with specially positioned jets to help women orgasm. Uh, the Jill Jet is just a terrible name. Well, so that you mentioned you mentioned there was something about a tub. So I t- said put a, put a pin in it because I've heard multiple times mm-hmm. that Pendulette has a custom made tub in his house mm-hmm. that is purposely designed to be a sex tub. Yes. So it sounds like one of Pendulette's main passions in life is customizing bathtubs for fucking. Yes. Which is weird. It's definitely interesting. I will say that. Um, he, I mean, he patented this shit. I. He must have. He must have a line on tub patents. Aquatic I don't know. pleasure from yeah. Pendulette. Let's move on. You're like I can't talk about this anymore. Um, other nineties Debbie anecdotes. Um, at one point she goes on a tour of small venues across Europe with a jazz band. Okay. Just, just singing some jazz. She's just vibing, dude. Um, what's amazing is that she says that the band has to kind of quickly learn a rendition, a jazzy rendition of the tide is high because audiences kept screaming for it when they would (laughs) tour, which I guess is fair enough for casting Debbie Debbie Harry as your your lead singer. singer. Of course people are going to, Clamor it's funny Blondie. that the tide is high is the one that they go for, but I know. Europeans, you can never, you can never gauge their taste. Who knows what they're thinking? Um, Blondie get back together in 1997, uh, which people are, seem to be like excited-ish about. Well, I don't know. It's, they've clearly moved into being a legacy band. They're a legacy point. band at this point. And you do have to, as you've said many times, you got to go away to come back. Yes. Uh, and they went away and they came back. But at that point, you could play like festivals and stuff. Yeah, you. I mean, at the at that point, you're getting kind of multi generational fans. Yeah, um, kind of in the same way that the the Cramps did when they started, or when they kept rather playing music into the mm-hmm. '90s and 2000s, uh, including one one later Blondie album. Maybe we could listen to a yes. little bit of now. Is that Blondie calls an album 
or uh, Debbie calls an album Pollinator, and it has a sort of bee theme. And when they toured on Pollinator, she wore, uh, you know, a bee-themed outfit, uh-huh. and uh, some proceeds went to Saving the Bees. She's really, Debbie's really into Saving the Bees. Uh, Debbie Harry. That is a very, like, older boomer thing to do. <laughs> Will someone think of the, the bees? bees? My bee? <laughs> Killed my bee. Uh, yeah, Pollinator came out in 2017, so not that long ago. Uh, let's listen to, I mean, this is the best track name off of this, Doom or Destiny. All right. It's first track. All right. Clear as a I mean, yeah, it sounds like a blondie song. I mean, what, she recorded this when she was 72? God, that thing, she's, she's old as shit. We, we make it into this millennium, she's a true, she's an elder. Yes. And I, I don't really care so much about her innovating. Let, let, let the woman buy. This is, I mean, I bet there's some other good tracks on this. We could go through this and listen to it. But I mean, remember that Viv Albertine song that she released in her 50s, Milf, uh, Milf Money? Was that what it was called? Milf Money. Diary uh, of a Milf. That's Diary a, of a Milf. That was Milf honestly maybe my favorite. It's a Fergie song. song. Uh, well, Diary of a Milf is that Viv Albertine song. Still shout it out. Uh, Probably still my favorite of hers. That yeah. was a, that song rocked hard. I bet there's a, a at least one extremely solid Blondie song on yes. this uh, 2017 album. Yeah, you you live more life and you get to express more shit. That's, yes, th- those are the rules. Um, so yeah, that you know, <laughs> as we're as we careen toward the end of the book, she really starts to kind of digress, sure. maybe because she's filling some sort of word count. I should say also here that the book is filled, I would say, almost 25% with fan art that she has collected <laughs> uh, throughout the years. So I was just flipping through cursed image after cursed <laughs> image of uh, of Debbie Harry. And I, I'll show you one in particular, unfortunately, given the uh, audio nature of a podcast. You're I'll not, not going to be able to see it, but can you describe oh, this? Boy. Can you describe what you're seeing? I, I know that it's supposed to be Debbie Harry. <laughs> that is the nature of fan art, yeah. But it appears to be, I would say, like a suburban mom holding a Shih Tzu in front of a Zodiac wheel with a UFO in the background and also Egyptian hieroglyphs. Yep. Uh, all done with that kind of uncanny, like half lopsided amateur art way um that, that etsy portrait way you know what i will make this the soon image uh for this for this thing so wonderful if you, so if you go back if you're as you're listening to this episode and would like to see this extremely bizarre piece of fan art mm-hmm. uh check out our twitter feed uh and in at and, and, at and, and, and intro pod, pod uh to find this very cursed yeah image. <laughs> we sh- i showed this to um and this is signed lizzie uh, the I, I showed this to friend of the pod, uh, former guest Sarah Fonder, who was like, "This just looks like any other Karen," and it <laughs> yes. does. It does have kind of like Karen. Karen Karen vibes. Um, de- she's a. It's funny. Debbie is a cancer son 
Scorpio rising, Pisces moon. That's what that is so watery. No wonder she vibes so hard with like spirits and shit. Ooh, I could never. I'm watery too, but that's another level that's, of having all three wet. quadrants or, or all three triads of the, the water signs. Oh, anyway, don't want to get too far into it. Um, so yeah, this, this is when she, speaking of digressing as I, as I digress, she has a paragraph where she talks about how annoying she finds sprangalangs. What do you think sprangalangs are, Chris? I have no idea. What is a sprangalang? It's pubes. Pubic oh, God. Hairs, straight pubes. She talks about how frustrating it is to find them and, and tries to flush them away, but worries about the one that got away. Oh, God. These are the things that are on Debbie <laughs> Harry's mind, Harry's mind. Uh, as, she, as she reaches her elder status. She also enjoys uh, getting acupuncture because the word punk is in it. <laughs> She's I mean, talking about her like old, like decrepit body about like, you know, that's 40 good, years of throwing herself around on stage. And she's like, yeah, I like acupuncture because it has punk, punk in, in it. it. Uh, that'd be a good name for a like Bushwick acupuncture hall. Acupuncture. Acupuncture. Um, and then she also, she's musing about gender and she's saying like, you know, how nice it is that in our current modern state, uh, there's such a more, the, the umbrella of gender is so much larger in terms of accepting like what gender is. And she says that for her, uh, it's always been this way, half man, half woman, not a transsexual, not a crossdresser, not bi, not the expression of a frustrated or repressed sexual self, just both sexes, a double identity. I think that's so interesting. That is. She is uh, maybe two-spirit would be another way to say yeah. that. Yeah. Like, it explains a lot in terms of the way she relates to being a woman mm-hmm. is that she's kind, it, at least in her mind, she's kind of not. And that doesn't, she's she's like, I'm not trans. She's just like, I'm a man and a woman. Mm. I don't know. I think yeah, that's cool. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, th- and I mean, is, any way that people think about their own gender is always interesting. Yeah. And you can think about it however you want to think about it. Um she closes out the book, and this is where I, th- I think we can we can end, because I thought this is also t- too interesting, is that she said, in one of her last paragraphs of the book, she said, I just had a visit with my manager, Alan, and he told me, I hope you say something about how you broke ground as a female artist in a business that was a man's world, and how difficult it was as a woman to do what you've done. She says, I know that it has been difficult, but I don't know if it's been difficult because I'm a woman. I know there's misogyny, and I know there's bias but I'm more concerned with being good at what I do. It is a man's world. And unfortunately, I don't think that they were going to lose that title just yet. (laughs) For me, in order to survive, I can never put myself in the position of whining about being a woman. I just got on with it. I mean, a bit of a a stiff upper lip thing, but I mean, you know, she she knows the score. She's she's someone, this is something that could sound, I think, a little bit reactionary in our current what feminism currently means which is you know i think someone could come back and be like it's not a man's world it's not yeah but to debbie harry it was and it is and she's like and just get on with it and you could say i mean she worked with male bandmates male you know everyone in the music industry that she worked with was a dude she worked with male directors at a certain point did she did she consciously surround herself with men because it is more comfortable for her to work in that environment? Could she have been finding some avant-garde female director to work with? Maybe. I don't know. But she was working with what she could work with best. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making apologies for her for saying the things that she is saying, but I kind of it's kind of refreshing. We kind of read scary to <laughs> to put it the way she put it. I'm just being like, why would I whine about being a woman when the very things that maybe made me somewhat powerless also gave me so much yeah. power? 
Yeah, I mean, I just I am just thinking about her and, and Patty Smith's two two by part trajectory, mm-hmm. and also a little Vil Albertine, who is mm-hmm. didn't have as long of a you know music career, or maybe as successful, but um, they they're interesting as as just like different perspectives of coming out of not just a man's world, but that specific wing of the man's of a man's world. Right. Where maybe the other thing that also undergirds all these things is that everybody who was coming out of that scene felt of themselves as they were underdogs. So maybe she, in a way, ended up having more <laughs> solidarity with the men around her. Yeah, you know, because they yeah. were all they were all born failures who happened to be a part of a thing that became successful. Yeah, maybe you know? maybe the thing that she had in common with them was not necessarily just strictly identity based. It was class-based outlook-based yeah you know you're you and your boyfriend uh chris stein are both both got tied up by that dude you just happened to get raped because he's that guy wasn't going to rape your boyfriend that's a semi-decent metaphor for everyone's the oppression everyone's in the yeah that whoa (laughs) you're so right (laughs) like he he probably wasn't stoked about getting his equipment stolen stolen either but debbie was more mad about the equipment getting stolen uh I mean, my, I guess this is one of the, the ones where my, uh, my opinion is more or less uh, just resupported. She seems chill. She seems, did she, does she write all the Blondie lyrics at least? She wrote, I think, almost all of them. Very, a few of them were, came in from, from like, the collaborators label. Mm-hmm. Or, or labels or yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then uh, did they work? Did the band work together to write the songs? To write songs? the music, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all. I would like to see some of the writing cl- credits on on Blondie mm-hmm. songs, r- real quick. But yeah, I the, mean, be being a real magician, uh, magician, <laughs> being well, she dated she a dated magician. magician. D being a real uh, musician and having an incredible career. I mean that that run of Blondie albums is hard to match. The, what this reminds me of that the last thing about you know not whining about being a woman is reminding me of once again meet, meet me in the bathroom is truly a fertile text uh where in meet me in the bathroom karen o talks about the feeling of basically being the only woman in that new york city rock revival scene kind of similarly to the mm-hmm. way that debbie harry was one of the only women one of the only front women in it and karen said that one night she saw debbie harry out at the bar she was at and she was drunk and she went over and was like oh, Debbie, I'm a girl in a band and like, it's so hard. I feel like I'm not being like listened to and I'm worried if like, you know, I'm being tokenized or whatever. Like, I'm just feeling like really insecure. And Debbie Harry said to her, honey, just enjoy it while you can. (laughs) Which is not what Karen O wanted to hear. She wanted to feel, oh, I know, like me too. That's not Debbie Harry's style. She's like, that's your power. That's your superpower. Be the girl in the band. Milk that for all it's worth and enjoy it while you can. And Karen O said that she was right. She's like, you just have to enjoy it. That's that's very, a really great that's a very great stuff. handshake, you Trying know, to, uh, between Debbie Harry and Karen O. That is that is an amazing like like switch off. Yeah. Um that is a great a great place to end. But I do want to just add the little detail that I'm looking at the uh the per, the credits on parallel lines right now. Yes. Um and it's it's all over the place, but Harry is is all in there like one way or another, is Deborah Harry and uh Nigel Harrison. Mm-hmm. Um Picture this is Harry Stein and Destry. Um, some of these are are pure Harry. Uh, some of them, are Heart of Glass, is Harry and Stein. Like, and you know what? She's, she's never like yeah. I'm. I I. It seems as like a incredibly songwriter. collaborative. She, I think she because she doesn't take herself too seriously. Yeah. I think she's just like 
I'm an artist. But she's not just the girl in the band. She's one of she is one of the and I I feel like I keep coming back to this is that one of the things that I like about Blondie is they seem like a band that's not like just like one person who directs a band. It's like a band with five people. She's who not play the titular songs. Blondie. She's not the titular Blondie. Blondie is the band. The band. The name of the band is Blondie. The name of the band is Blondie. <sighs> I don't think I was expecting to get quite so uh, um, holl- hollering about gender during this, but I guess yeah. it only makes sense. But until we get, you know, until the next generation of like rock girls ages into writing memoirs, we're, yeah. we're going to be at this impasse of being like, I was the only woman. Yes. <laughs> I was harassed all the time. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Debbie Harry, cool. We let's uh, uh, let's end with something a little different because we do have some treats from the mailbag. Yeah, we do have some treats from the mail. Okay, I was just gonna say that's all you want to say about Debbie Harry. That's all. That's all she wrote. Uh, Raise of the Rafters, cool girl, cool cool songs, cool yep. bands. Uh, salute to Debbie Harry. Uh, uh, a, a, tr- a, a true queen. A, a true queen of 20th century rock. We yep. salute you. Yep. But let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. And oh, before we move confidently, I just want to say that she wrote a poem about 9-11 and I'm not going to read it to you. Okay. Well, read it to me off mic. Okay. <laughs> we'll add it to 9-11 part two. We'll do a 9-11 part two 2020. Um, I'll save it for that. Okay, great. Because we already have like a handful but more I not, 9-11 I am not stories, exposing right? you to her 9-11 poem. Not uh, today. Not, not today. now. Okay. Now let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Uh, we have tweeted treats from the mailbag. Treats from Don't the we- mailbag. Oh, fuck, there's one other thing I want to play. I'll play it under this. Okay. An Armin Van Halen, uh, who is a uh, American uh, club EDM a producer. He he produced that Armin uh, Van Buren. Armin Van Hel- Holden. Helden. Uh, he uh, produced that one uh, Dizzy Rascal song that I like. Oh, uh, bonkers. bonkers. Uh-huh. Uh, here's his remix of Atomic from 1995. Bring it. Uh, and now what's in the mailbag? Am I supposed to say what's in the mailbag? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're listening to this. All right. We got um, an amazing, amazing email from a listener, Ashok, who shared. This was actually technically not for the pod itself, but we've been doing these wonderful Twitch streams, our own personal version of TV Party, where we've been sharing music videos, YouTube music, uh, archival goodness, all kinds of bullshit mm-hmm. every week. And uh, they suggested this uh, for the, when we were at, recruiting festival content sure said what about mac demarco's set from pitchfork 2013 the songs at the end are basically shreds videos played live if you know what shreds are it's basically uh shitty versions of redubbed versions shitty versions of songs yeah what what is that youtube account because i'll just direct people to it yeah um i think it's just called shreds yeah just youtube shreds videos youtube shreds uh and so I pulled up uh, the Mac DeMarco Pitchfork Pitchfork Harris set and just scrubbed to a random location and then just started screaming because it was perfect. So do you want to... Yeah, we'll play this. I just want to see if this develops at all. All right, pretty, pretty abstract reimagination. I was hoping to get some good uh, beefy uh, synth lines of the... I'll have to make those myself. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Uh, this is in my chat. And um, you, you'll want to go to 3458 for the oh, optimal this is the full experience. Set. Yeah. That's a full set. 34. Oh, God. They do break stuff as well. Well, we have to watch that as well.
That's a French title. That's actually a very arcane French title. <laughs> somewhere between Duke and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, le, le Mac de Mocco. Uh, le Mac de Davignon. <laughs> well, thank you, Ashok, for uh, that suggestion. That was that was incredible. Fucking love that. Um, and anything else from from you? I feel sir? like I had had one. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. N. Buckley, for uh, the email. Uh, Mr. M. Crighty, yes, we will consider doing uh, Matt Cutler's Robert Pollard book soon. I would like to talk about Guided by Voices, one of the best ever bands out of Dayton, uh, Southwest Ohio represent. Uh, so yes, thank you for that that Mac DeMarco break. Uh, uh, we, we also did get a request, which I think is a great idea, is um, just doing an episode about Hipster Runoff, who yes. I do think just ran, cult, ran indie music culture for a little bit at my favorite time, the late off. You know who I saw uh, recently on a Hipster Runoff post who? from back in the day? Who? Brace Belden commented or was in pictured. To? What? Yes, at a show. I believe so. No way. Yes. Oh my god. That would be Piss Pig Granddad himself inserted in a hipster runoff. Oh that man god. has led a life. Uh, he's <laughs> everywhere you want to be or don't want to be, depending on on your thing. Uh, Shall we get to the ending pattern? One big yes. announcement yes, is uh, hopefully I will get this out before then. This Friday, mm-hmm. May first. Uh, on the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the Chris Wade. We will be doing a music video power hour that Molly has made. Yes. This is one minute of a music video of an all-time banger. Yes. Uh, then we will drink a shot of White Claw or beer at the end, and we do we do that for 60 videos straight for one hour. So come please join us on twitch.tv slash the Chris Wade yep. for a music video pregame power hour. 
Can we actually record that as a promo to put it first in the episode? For yes, who might you're right. It? I'll do this. I'll, I will cut this out. Uh, here's a promo to start this episode. Uh, so yes, and I'll, I'll just keep all this part in at the end anyway. Yeah, blur, blur, uh, blur. The Twitch, twitch.tv slash the Chris Wade, 6.30, fr- 6.30 Eastern Time, Friday, music video, primetime pregame. Uh, come drink with us and watch uh, music videos. Or drink videos water. Use this as an opportunity to, to hydrate. hydrate uh, before you get on all your various Zoom chats for we Friday stan- night. We stan water. We stan in fact, H2O. In fact, I think all humans do. <laughs> anyway. And many plants. Let's get to the end of this because this is already uh, running long and I will have to edit this before <laughs> in the next 24 hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter at andintropod or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is, as always, at soundcloud.com slash and flat dash intro <laughs> pod soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, rate and review. I guess that helps people find us. Who even uses the iTunes store anymore? It's garbage. Oh. Let's be honest. Hey, we respect our corporate overlords. <laughs> we absolutely do not. Uh. <laughs> Uh, but we will keep uh, keep your eyes out on the Twitter feed for more streams on twitch.tv slash the Chris Wade. Uh, and we'll keep doing those. And otherwise, we'll be back in two more weeks with another episode of And Introducing. <laughs>